Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. to just um, just to introduce a bit of a focus. I don't know if we've got a... There we, can, there we go. This is, this is something we're going to focus on over the next few weeks here. Supernatural church. And um, I get excited just saying that, actually. Supernatural church. Um, but really what I, I want to do is just share some things this morning about my best friend don't know how many of you have a best friend. I've got an earthly best friend called Banger. Uh, you, you'll meet him one day. He's just across the border in, in Gretton in Northamptonshire, and he's a Baptist pastor now. But Banger is my, uh, was my, is my sort of earthly best friend. But I've, but I've got a, a, a bestest friend, best friend forever. And I, I want to talk to you this morning about him. Um, and just to say, this, this theme and what I'd like us to pick up in, in over the next uh, couple of months here, I believe is is really of the utmost importance for us, particularly in Market Harbour, that we focus on aspects of being supernatural church and what that means both in terms of our gatherings together and our mission. So I hope there'll be the two recurring themes, not just our gatherings, but our life, our our day-to-day life our gatherings, and our mission, and that we'll see what, uh, what those things mean in the light of being supernatural church. So let me tell you about my best friend, and I've, I've really got four particular things to say about him. And we'll, we'll begin reading in John 14. Got a few different scriptures to turn to, but John 14 This is um, towards the beginning of this long discourse that Jesus gives um, lots of red letters here. And in John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this. In fact, we'll, we'll just read it from verse 12. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor. Your, your version might say uh, advocate, helper. Yeah, anybody have anything else there? Counselor, advocate, helper. The message, the message says friend. To be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. 
but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Amazing statement. Jesus is is both going and coming. It's better that he goes because he's going to send his spirit and they're going to know him. In fact, they already know him. The world doesn't know him, but they know him. And they're going to know him even more. And, And the first thing I want to say about my best friend, my bestest friend, is he is a wonderful person. Did you notice Jesus says he is the spirit of truth? The Holy Spirit, my best friend, is a wonderful person. He's a he. And he wants us to know him. He wants all of us to know him. And that's not to know him theologically or to know him theoretically, but to know him personally, to know him intimately, to know him, to actually know him, to know him like a best friend, not even like a best friend, to know him as a best friend. And, and I believe God, God's heart is grieved because so many believers are either robbed of a personal relationship with him altogether because they think he is an it, a power, an influence, a force. He is powerful. He is influential. He does have force, but he is not an it. He's not a thing. He's a person. And so far too many believers are robbed of a, of a personal relationship altogether because, because they don't realize he's a person. And far too many are experiencing only a fraction of what God has for them because they embrace so little of the Holy Spirit's actions and activities. And I believe that grieves the Lord. He's a person. The Holy Spirit, the mighty third person of the Trinity. Jesus calls him here the spirit of truth. Elsewhere he's called the spirit of God. Elsewhere he's called the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of Christ. He is God himself and, and he's the one, he's, he's the one in the Godhead who, who manifests life, who, who imparts things to us, who, who comes to complete what the Father's decided to do. He's a wonderful person. And he wants to fill my life and your life with his presence, his personal presence and his power. In all that I'm saying today, I I would really urge this. Um, Steve talked about having a terrible week. I don't know what's happened, Steve. uh, But praise God, we're worshipping him today. Um, And he said he's going to forget about the week. I just would like you to forget everything you've heard about the spirit up to this point some of it may be really really good uh, but forget your experience of him forget what you might think about him if you've only ever thought of him as an it forget that and be willing and ready today to say I'm gonna I'm gonna launch my life into a new experience of him He is a wonderful person. 
and he wants us to have the closest possible friendship with him. And when Jesus um, speaks of him in, in John 14 there, the word he uses, and you may well know, is, is parakletos. It means he's the counselor, he's the comforter. Some versions call him the companion or the advocate or the helper. The, uh, the Amplified says he's the intercessor, he's the standby. I'll come back to that word in a minute. And the message just says he's the friend. I love that. He's your friend. He's not to be, he's not to be feared. He's, he's our friend. And he's a person and he wants us to know him. And Jesus speaks about knowing him. And, and, he, and he doesn't just want us to know his actions. He wants us, us to know him. If my focus, if our focus is knowing uh, his power, knowing his actions, then, then my main concern will be how can I get more of that power in my life? How can I get more of his power uh, in me and for me? If my focus is knowing him as a person, then I'll be concerned about how he can get more of me and how he can have me in his ministry, not how I can have him in mine. He, he's got work to do and, I, and he, he wants to have Phil and he wants to have Sharon, he wants to have Stephen. He wants to have us and, and, and he wants us to give ourselves fully to him. He he really wants you this morning. He wants you. He wants to be your best friend. He wants to... The Bible uses several words um, like this. He can be grieved. Or he can be resisted. Or he can be quenched. He's holy. He's the Holy Spirit. And he's pure and he's powerful. And, and I wouldn't want to push this too far, but, but he is sensitive. I don't think he's fragile, but he's sensitive, and he can be grieved. If you turn with me to Ephesians 4, there's a whole passage there which, which actually um, uses this phrase, do not grieve the spirit. That word grieve is a really strong word, isn't it? It's sort of to, to, um, to cause sorrow or to inflict injury, to, to cause a deep reaction is something to, to grieve somebody it's it's a strong word and in Ephesians 4 and verse 29 Paul um, describes several things that that if you put that in the middle of the verses is this phrase don't grieve the spirit but but in this verse you've got you've got several things that clearly would grieve the spirit verse 29 no rotten talk should come from your mouth but only what's good for building up someone in need in order to give grace to those who are here. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, wrath, insult, slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness and be kind and compassionate. The opposites of those things grieve him. Forgiving one another just as God also forgave us in forgave you in Christ. Many believers are not, don't really know him and are not full of him because their thoughts and all their words or their actions grieve him and create a blockage. And so um, it's beholden upon us, supernatural church, to do everything we can to avoid grieving him. I, I, I read something many years ago which has always stuck with me. Um, um, where the writer, it was R.T. Kendall, and he talked about 
Um, he said, the, the goal of the Christian life is to close the gap. And he said, um, because the Holy Spirit will always tell you when you grieved him. You know, that's true, isn't it? We, 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 sort of, we don't go around unaware. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a, a pinprick or, or something a little bit stronger that comes to alert us to the fact, I'm grieved. And he said, the, the goal of the Christian life is to close the gap between that moment when you become convicted and the moment that you put it right and repent. Because that gap can be, can be years sometimes, can't it? Some offence, some bitterness, some unforgiveness, some, something that you said that, that you, he convicted you. It was offensive, it was grieving. And maybe it took a few days or a few weeks or, or maybe even months or years before you dealt with it. And he says, close the gap to just the smallest of seconds between him convicting you and putting it right. So we don't grieve him. He's a wonderful person. And the second thing I want to say is this. He is an amazing creator. An amazing creator. We first meet the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1. Don't we? Right at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. The Spirit of God was hovering. And it's, it's as if, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly say this, but I don't think it's too much of a stretch. The Spirit of God is hovering, waiting for the Father to speak the word and say, let there be light. And as soon as the Spirit hears the command of the Father, he's sent. And he comes to create life. He's an amazing creator. Right at the end of the Bible in Revelation 21. Or is it 22? Revelation 22 even. The very last book of the Bible. Right at the end, verse 17. See, the Holy Spirit, this wonderful person, this best friend of ours, is always creating life. Always creating life. Always offering life. Always bringing life. So right at the end of the Bible, verse 17 of the last chapter, say, both the Spirit and the bride say, come. Anyone who hears should say, come. And the one who's thirsty should come. And whatever, whoever, whoever desires should take the living water as a gift. The Spirit of God is amazingly creative. And from start in Genesis to finish in Revelation and everywhere in between, he is bringing and offering and creating life. Life. In abundance. I believe the Holy Spirit is at the heart of every creative supernatural act at the heart of every creative birth I believe every time um, you know you feel if I can put it this way you feel pregnant with something that's bubbling inside you being birthed being formed some 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 great idea some creative thought some creative concept some some um, some stirring the spirit of God is is behind that and in that and creating that 
It's interesting, isn't it? At the, the beginning of life, the beginning of creation, the Spirit of God is there. At the birth of Christ, when you read Matthew's account, especially of the birth of Christ, how the Spirit of God is moving, speaking to angels, appearing to pregnant ladies, appearing to, to husbands, fathers-to-be, and, and creating life and stirring things up. It's amazing that at the beginning of Christ's own supernatural ministry, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove. The Spirit of God is integral to every creative thing. Everything that's brought to birth, everything that comes to life, the Spirit of God is responsible. Every creative thought you've ever had was the work of the Spirit of God. Every positive, wholesome, creative thought you've had. And he creates the church. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 calls the church God's creation, God's handiwork, God's masterpiece. But um, we know, because we're well taught, that the, that the church is those who have been born again. And when, John's, when Jesus is describing being born again in John chapter 3, he says um, um, uh, man must be born again or born from above. Something supernatural is happening. In uh, Acts chapter 2, when Peter is asked how this crowd should respond to the good news that Jesus is Lord and Christ, he says three things, doesn't he? He says, you must repent, you must be baptised, and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. Well, we can only repent because the Spirit convicts us of sin. We can only be baptised in water because the Spirit, who leads us into all truth, enables us to be obedient. We can only be baptised in the Spirit when the Spirit comes to fill us with his own life and power. Every aspect of our, of our conversion, of our new birth, the Spirit is involved, causing repentance, leading us into the waters of baptism, filling us with his own life and power. The Holy Spirit was the one that, that led you and, and brought you to Christ, Tilly, and then filled you with himself, convicted you of truth and righteousness and, and into those waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit was totally responsible for being involved in your new birth. He creates the church. He convicts of sin. In Acts chapter 1, if, you, if you'd turn there with me. Supernatural church. Listen to these words, they're so, so important. Verse 4, while Jesus was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. Listen, he commanded them. He commanded them not to leave, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In all the Gospels, John makes that statement. John, in all four Gospels, says, I'm baptizing you with water. There's one coming after me. He's much more powerful. I'm not worthy to even untie his, his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus now picks this up. He affirms that statement. In just a few days, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the day of Pentecost came, And thousands of people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Thousands of people repented and received Christ and were baptized and then received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When at least 3,000 people did that on that day, the church was born. A supernatural church. Men and women born from above. The Holy Spirit was involved. Everything about the church is supernatural. Okay? I'm going to say that again. Because if we don't get this, we're going nowhere. Everything about the church is supernatural. In Revelation, um, John sees the vision. He says, he says, I saw the church coming down from heaven. Jesus had said, you must be born from above. The Holy Spirit's involved in Tilly's conversion and everybody's conversion. Everything about the church is supernatural. You might have heard me say this before, but before we uh, began meetings in Market Harbour, uh, I met with some of the other leaders in the town, church leaders, and uh, and one of the other church leaders, I, he, he said, well, tell us a little bit about, about the church. I described some stuff. And, and at the end of the conversation, he said, he said, I think it's great. He said, Market Harbour needs a full-on charismatic church. Now, I didn't really know what to think. Because in theory, at least, there's no other kind what is the church if it's not charismatic? What is the church if we're not supernatural? How can there be such a church if we're not born from above, if we're not, if we're not created by the Spirit? There is no other, there's no other kind of church in the Bible. Of course Harbour needs a full-on charismatic church. That's the church. Supernatural church. Turn with me to Ephesians, please. Ephesians 2, Holy Spirit, please help us get this this morning. Help us to see something with fresh eyes today. Chapter 2, verse 19. So you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary 
in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Could, could people just read that last verse in from different, different versions? What other versions do we have? Chapter, verse 22 there. Anybody? Stephen? The church, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There is no other church. That is the church. The dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. Any other, what's that? NIV, Stephen, was it? NIV, anybody else? New Living Translation. Yeah. This dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Folks, if our church isn't totally, fundamentally, and experientially supernatural, we're not his church. He's a creator. And he creates his church. He creates the church. You're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He's a creator. But be warned, he's a creator and he is very creative. Okay? And he sometimes does things that we've never seen or imagined. He can do that. I often think about uh, Elijah raising that, that widow's son to life and thinking nobody had ever seen a resurrection. It wasn't even a thing. How did Elijah know what to do? How did, how did he even think of that? Laying on that boy's body three times, believing this body would come. That had never happened before. But you know what? There's a first time for everything. And I, I'm not talking about going beyond scripture or anything like that. But, but the God has a million ways of being creative and, and providing and meeting need. And sometimes he will do things we've never even seen or imagined that we don't expect. And if I could put it this way, sometimes he will mess with your sense of order in order to bring you into his sense of order. Yes? And you know, in, in Corinthians, Paul says everything must be done decently and in order. And he sometimes thinks his sense of order is quite different to ours. His sense of decency is quite different to ours. There are many things we consider to be decent that he thinks are indecent. Yes. Because it's not supernatural. Right. Just a little warning. Because yes. if we're going to embrace this, get ready for things we've never seen before. Get ready for him to mess with your predetermined, logical, oh-so-rational sense of order. Yes. And to say, I have a better idea. Why don't we do this? Yes. <laughs> Do you have a question, Tatiana, or are you agreeing with me? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let's be a church where everything is beautifully orderly for him. That's the second thing. He's a wonderful person. He's amazingly creative. And the, the third and penultimate thing I want to say is he really loves the lost. 
He really loves the lost. Um, He doesn't just love the church. He does love the church, but he loves the world. Jesus came because God so loved the world. And he still loves the world. Jesus sent the Spirit because he was leaving them. He says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send the Spirit. And he sends the, God sent the Son because he loves the world. Jesus sent the Spirit because he loves the world. And he believe his heart aches with compassion for sheep without shepherds because the Father, the Son, and the Spirit love the lost. In fact... That is why we're baptized in the Spirit. We read that in Acts 1 verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. The overarching purpose of this empowerment is to be witnesses. You know, moving in the gifts, being able to speak in tongues, manifesting the fruit of the Spirit more and more strongly being led into the truth, having the word of God open to us, all the things that the Holy Spirit does for us are all wonderful, but the overarching purpose of all of them is that we might be witnesses. We might be witnesses. And note, note it's not that we might witness, that's part of it, but it is this, spirit-filled people are a witness. Wherever we are. We live filled with the spirit, that's a witness. It's a powerful witness. That's why we've been filled with the Spirit. God's sole strategy for filling the earth with his church is to fill his church with his Spirit. What genius! I'm going to fill the earth with my glory. How? By filling the earth with my people. How? By filling my people with my Spirit. He loves the lost. And he empowers mission. And when you read the book of Acts, which is so exciting, isn't it? You read of a church which, whose fire is fueled and it's turning the world upside down, it says later on. And, and this, the fire of the mission of the, of, of the church in the book of Acts is fueled by the Holy Spirit. He's behind everything. He's a missionary. And I believe, and I I want to experience more of this. I'll be really honest with you. I want to experience this more and more and more. I believe the Holy Spirit is longing to get me and you every day face to face with unbelievers. Because he knows that if he's got you face to face with an unbeliever, because he's filling you, Tilly... You have everything needed, all sufficient, all powerful, all able to reach those people through. I I think the Holy Spirit just just gets so excited when we're in situations where we can share our life and faith. I think he's he's thrilled when when Andy's at work, because I know Andy loves to share his faith. And and every time Andy's faced, the Holy Spirit's like, yeah, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I'm I'm kind of excited by this. Go talk to them because I'm ready. I'm I'm on the inside, ready. I'm waiting. In fact, let me just take you, I'm going to take you in a moment to to a little word which will help us understand that. But he's a missionary. I I believe we we feel his endorsement. We feel his encouragement. We feel his enabling 
especially when we're involved in being a witness. He did not come to fill us with his spirit so we could have gatherings alone. It's part of it. But if it, if it begins and ends here, we've totally missed it, haven't we? I really believe as we, as we consider this over these weeks, the Holy Spirit wants to fuel mission. Yes, amen. We cannot be filled with him and not be turned outwards. That's his whole purpose in coming. I, I really believe this is a game changer for us, folks. Why did the early church see daily edition? Was it because they had better buildings than us? Was it because they had better publicity? Silly rhetorical questions, aren't they? Was it because they had better, better people? No, definitely not. Better gatherings? I don't think so. Well, maybe. Who knows? It was because they lived in the, in, in the proximity and the power of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was fueling their mission. Everywhere they went, he's, he's, he's taking them face to face with unbelievers. And then he's doing what he does best because he's a missionary and he loves to reach people through us. The last thing I want to say is that the Holy Spirit, as well as being a wonderful person and an amazing creator and a real lover of the lost, invites you and me into a new dimension of life with him. And I, I just want to take my time in saying this because if that bit was a game changer, this even more so. Forget the past. Forget every previous experience of him. He invites you, he invites me right now into a new dimension of his life, his power, his fruitfulness. It's based on a new depth of relationship with him. It's the most fulfilling life imaginable. It's the life I long for. I hope it's the life you long for as well. I know it comes at a cost. He invites us into a new dimension. He invites us to be filled with him. He invites us to, and here's this little word I want to explore, abide with him. And he invites us to experience what the scriptures call life in the spirit. You know where Jesus, uh, Paul writes in Romans, he says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is, is lived in the spirit. And Jesus invites us into, the Spirit invites us into a new dimension. Let me just explain those little phrases there. Um, Ephesians 5, 18. Um, so just after he said, don't grieve the Spirit. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. And um, I'm sure you've probably heard this before, that the, 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 the way that word is used, it has that sense of being continuously filled. But the word itself, um, 
means filled to completeness, filled to the brim. You know the, you know the story in John's Gospel where they fill the water jugs and he says, fill, fill the jugs, and he says they fill them to the brim, right to the brim. It's the same word, pleru. He wants us to be filled so there's no room for anything else. If you fill something to the brim, everything else has to go, doesn't it? Air has to leave as the water rises to the top. He wants us to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with him. Filled to capacity. Filled to overflowing. Filled to the brim. It means, and this is, when I said it it costs us, it does cost us. This will cost me. And the question is, how full do I want to be? Question for you, Carl. How full do you want to be? Question for Kim. Question for Naya. How full do you want to be? Block of all sin or striving or, or self-effort even or, or pride or ambition or, or, um, or my image, my, my hurts, my past, my unforgiveness, anything that would, that would cause a blockage has to go if I'm going to be filled with him. It means um, humbling myself and abandoning all ideas of self-sufficiency. It means total unreserved surrender so there's no room for anything else. Maybe we'll explore that a bit more over these coming weeks. Being filled with him. And then, um, if I could take you, probably one of the last places we'll look is John 14, again. Um, Back to John 14, and also, we're going to read something in in 1 John. This This is this word, abide. John 14. I will give, I will ask the Father, he'll give you another counsellor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains, or, or yours might say he abides with you and will be in you. Then have a look at 1 John. One John uh, two, verse twenty-seven. The anointing you received from Him abides in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, His anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, abide in Him. That word is a really, really beautiful little word. And it means um, to remain or to stay, never to depart or to wait or to wait for. And of course, we know Pentecost changed everything. Jesus came and no, no longer is Jesus just visiting. He's now inhabiting. He's, he's living inside them. He's remaining. He's staying. He's never going to leave them. And that's his promise. He's never going to leave us. And it has to do with, with, with something very personal, very intimate. But then he says, we must remain in him. We must abide in him. We must stay in him. We must not leave him. 
it, it, it speaks to me about our devotional life particularly. You know, we, we live a life where we remain close to him. But then, but then this, this word also has this meaning of, of being, um, of waiting. It's a little bit like the, the, um, the ready to go on the remote control. Standby. On standby. The spirit of God was hovering. On standby. And he wants to us to be waiting on standby so that in life as soon as he speaks we're ready to go on standby waiting for his instruction staying close able to hear his voice uh, sensitive enough that when he pricks us prods us pushes us sometimes shouts at us we go on standby, just sort of ticking over, waiting for the word, remaining in him. He says, I want you to abide in me. I want you to wait. I want you to stay close. The question is, how close do I want to be? Because he wants us to enjoy this life in the spirit, which Galatians talks about living in the spirit. I guess that's what happens when we're filled with him, when we abide in him. Uh, this is the new dimension he wants to invite us into. And the wonderful thing about this, and, and every time my life has sort of touched into this more than at other times, I think that is the place where striving ceases. That is the place where I'm in peace with him. That is the place where I know I know that whatever he asks me, I'll do it. That's the place of life in the spirit where he's leading and guiding. All who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. We're all sons of God. We can all be led by the spirit. He wants to lead us, wants to guide us, wants to say, Julian, receive, receive the go and go. Life in the spirit. Life in the spirit is the place where we enjoy his counsel and his guidance. Life in the spirit is where we have revelation of the deeper things. Life in the spirit is where, our, as Benj described this morning, our worship becomes just an expression of everything he is to us. Not the words we've seen, but the God we've seen. Life in the spirit. There's so many ways we could describe this. I, I, th I think I can only do a very inadequate task. Life in the spirit. This is where his character is, is really uh, being formed in us. This is where his gifts are really powerfully at work through us. This is where we say, I am truly experiencing his divine nature. All his fruit, all his gifts, all, all alive and at work in my life. This is life in the spirit. This is the new dimension he invites us into. You imagine your neighbor is sick and your best friend fills you with love and faith and you offer to pray for your neighbor and your best friend fills you with power and your neighbor is healed and your neighbor's friends hear about it and turn to God. 
You imagine God wants, you, God wants to save the, the man or the lady that you work with. And your best friend listens to your prayers. He listens to your prayers for your colleagues. And your best friend listens to those prayers. And he knows he can rely on you. And so he gives you a word of knowledge. Because he knows all things, he just slips into your thoughts something that you never had thought of before. He's so creative. And suddenly from nowhere, this, this knowledge, this, this thought, this, this idea, this, this statement, this picture, this vision, whatever it is, however he does that, it becomes alive in you. And your best friend, having heard your prayers for your work colleagues, knowing he can rely on you, slips this information to you. And in sharing it with your colleagues, she or he is convinced that God is real and you lead her to Christ. Imagine we host an event and we ask our best friend who to invite. And our best friend, knowing all the inner longings of all our other friends, tells us who to invite. And he lets a name just pass through our thoughts. And we trust we've heard him because we're becoming more and more familiar with his voice and the way he speaks to us and what he sounds like and what it feels like when he's speaking. And we act on it. And our good friend meets our best friend. Hallelujah. All I'm describing is everyday life. Everyday life of the early church. The everyday life of the supernatural church. The everyday life that can be ours, the everyday life of the supernatural church in Market Harbour that God wants us to experience. The Holy Spirit wants to awaken in us an expectation of a daily supernatural lifestyle. The everyday supernatural life of the supernatural church which can become our natural habitat. Wonderful, isn't it? You, sort of, you say supernatural, you think but actually it just becomes natural. It never takes the edge off it. It's always supernatural, but it also becomes natural. This new dimension, let me finish with this, is, is the life in the spirit. This is what it is to be filled with him. This is what it is to abide in it. This is some of it. How, what do I know? There's so much more. But I honestly believe that... Um, this is the greatest time we could ever be alive. Don't you? You hear things in the world, we're aware of so much that's troubling and shaking and insecure and failing. And for many, it's a time of fear. For us, this is the greatest time to be alive. I believe God is, God is setting things up big time. And he wants a church on standby. A church waiting. Not, wait, not, not forever waiting, by the way. Just always waiting. And always responding and always in action. I want us, I hope we can agree together that we will embrace a deeper experience of supernatural church in which our, our lives and our gatherings become increasingly dynamic, in which our mission becomes increasingly spirit-fueled. If, if we're filled with the Spirit, he will turn us outwards. There's, there's no question about that. 
So let me finish with this um, invitation that Jesus gives. And I wonder if Benj could, could just come back and uh, lead us in um, with some worship, some music. John chapter 7. John 7, verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were going to receive. For the Spirit had not yet been received, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Well, praise God, he has been glorified. The Spirit is given, but the invitation still stands. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Um... I think it'd be great if we could just drink of him, finish our time by drinking of him. And um, you just forget everybody around you. Forget all your previous experience. Forget any time you've been fearful of him. He's a friend. Just wants to help us. And let's just pour our hearts out to him in worship now and and drink deeply. If you'd like, um, if you'd like, me to pray with you, lay hands on you if you want, if you've never really received the spirit and experienced the overflow of of that baptism in the spirit, then we'd love to pray for you this morning, believing he wants to move, wants to move powerfully but above all, he just wants us to all say yes Lord we're, we're up for being part of Supernatural Church Amen Amen, let's stand together Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.